Blog Talk Radio. shift 
the paradigm that we're in because they do believe in the divine influence. Laura, just a little bit more about Laura. She's written for some very open-minded things, which of course is always so welcome on this show, like UFO Magazine, Fate Magazine. She's written for Beatles Publications, which is interesting, and she's also the director of the Rescombe Mansion Community Health Center. And you can learn more about this book that we're about to talk about at at Secret Life of Lady Liberty. And I am just so delighted to bring Dr. Robert Hieronymus and Laura E. Cortner on the line. Welcome to happy the show. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. You want to sing happy birthday party? Can we sing happy birthday to you? You know, happy it's birthday so to nice you. To happy have... birthday to you. <laughs> Six years. Congratulations. You know, well, thank you. Do you know, I just, I, this show is so relaxed and casual, I will tell you this. And I had emailed your publisher saying, they seem like really nice people. <laughs> and sure enough, you are. Yes. And you know, I, the, I, you know, Friday is uh-huh. the Statue of Liberty's birthday. Oh, my goodness. Well, now, isn't that? that appropriate? Nice coincidence, and, and, right? That that is that's very much, especially since this show is really about liberation. I mean, being, um, you know, freeing ourselves from the power of our fears, even though we all have fear, of course, and it's a natural Liberty. part of being human, is having right. more consciousness of them and not letting them rule us. And I will also tell you, in fact, I think. Um, we may enter into this conversation in a rather unusual way, which we already are, but that's typical of this show. I happen to be, just so you know, the granddaughter of an evangelical minister. And although I didn't know him well, I had a lot of influences in my family, both um, Catholic and evangelical. And one of the first things I... Yes, yes. And, And, of course, now I'm more... Um, in line with with what your publisher is publishing, you know, inner traditions and and more um, open-minded about things, which is why I have this show. And something I immediately asked the minute I opened your book, I had a feeling it was going to be really um, open-minded because of Elaine Pagels um, really Mm -hmm. complimenting you, is what about the fear of the goddess? (laughs) Because something... That, that's that been a part of my own personal awakening and many of us who've come out of that tradition, not so much Catholic as, as evangelical, um, is is coming to peace with not just peace but this acceptance of the goddess and right. and that that and so and you really reflect upon this deeply in your book because it's important in the history of our country, all the different cultural and religious influences. So so entering into this, see if I can frame this as a question, um, how can we come to accept this notion of goddess? And, and what is the notion of goddess? Yeah, that's one of the things that we do with this book, you're right, and that is to try to remind Americans that this symbol that we've embraced as our identity of America is a goddess. There's no two ways about it. That is a goddess. That's a depiction of a female divine figure. But I think 
other than people who listen to your show who are obviously open-minded already and probably interested in the goddess traditions. I see you've written about the female divine yourself. Most Americans think of the statue as an it, and we deliberately refer to it throughout the book as a her because we want you to remember that it is. It's a depiction. It's our very largest depiction of the goddess, but it's not the only one. We have goddesses all over American iconography. But this is the most well-known one, and, and we we see the Statue of Liberty not just as an energizing and unifying symbol, but it's the American goddess, and we want Americans to acknowledge that the divine female is part of our American tradition. And if we can link that to this symbol that's so well-known, it could actually help shift Americans' self-identity because, as you know, when you recognize the goddess, you're recognizing or accepting the goddess, which is really hard to do when our patterns ingrain us to think of it as, as evil, and we can get on into that later. But once you can mm-hmm. come around to the fact that there is a female portion to the divine, divine can manifest in masculine as well as feminine forms. It's a partnership as in nature. Then you, you tend to start recognizing life itself as sacred, and then you start feeling a responsibility yeah. to the life around you because The goddess tradition reminds you that the earth is our mother, and that's where we come from, and that's where we go to. So traditions like the indigenous traditions, the Native American traditions that were more centered on the matrilineal cultures and more in tune with nature, they respected their women. It just goes hand in hand. You respect nature and you respect your women when you elevate or when you can acknowledge the female portion of the divine. Well, from my perspective, I was raised in the 1940s and 50s to believe Mm -hmm. that women were not the mental equal of men. Mm -hmm. This is true confessions. Mm -hmm. I was a true believer in the patriarchy. One of my mentors, the way I changed was unusual because one of my mentors was the late... Well, his name was William Donald Schaefer. He eventually became our governor, and he also was running for mayor. And he came to me, and he said he had known about my work, especially the murals I did at Johns Hopkins University, dealing with the great changes that are coming on the earth and especially the problems that America was having with uh, the patriarchy that has been ruling for the last 5,000 years. And he asked me to do his poster for his run for the mayor. Now, he was running against someone that was from organized crime. And it was also, this is, Baltimore was a black city then and is a black city now. And it did not look like he had one chance in the world. So when he asked me to do this, and I told him I didn't do political things, he said, I know your work, so I'll give you total freedom to do what you want. So what I did was I took Aquarius and put her on top of America's, um, excuse me, Maryland and Baltimore City's symbols, the battle monument, etc. And also mm-hmm. dressed up with Isis, Anubis, and other gods and goddesses. Now, you wouldn't expect that a political poster at this time in uh, the early 70s, would be acceptable. Well, fortunately, it worked. He became, well, from the underdog, it was a landslide. And the people 
who knew those symbols, because I knew my other artwork, was about higher consciousness and that kind of thing. So he said to me, look, I uh, owe you something. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I want to learn how you became successful. So he said, surround yourself with intelligent women. In other words, put intelligent women on your committees, and you can be assured that the job will get done because women look for compromise and balance and are more often involved instead of domination. They're not concerned with domination and winning, as most men are in the patriarchy. So obviously at that time, it took me all that time till about 1970 or so. It's a long time to be a patriarchy or involved in that. Uh, and I owe it to him, but I never would have thought it would have come from that perspective. He not only won mayor, but I did his poster for governor, and he also won that, and he was one of the best mayors and governors of the city of Baltimore and the state of Maryland. Yes. You know, Bob, as you speak of this, I think that we can't help but acknowledge right now there are all these honest conversations going on about women, where we are and and what we've experienced and um, I've heard this report just because of the election. I mean, it's being oh, discussed yes. openly, but we're all talking about it among ourselves, too. I was just sharing the other day about, you know, different things I experienced in the workplace, even in the 80s, or even now the things that happen. And so, in a way, this book is coming along at a time that that is so pivotal in our yeah, history because we're all opening up. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know, we're on... Um, we have a woman running for for president, and and of course we're not going to get too much into the election. And I know there there's controversy. And by the way, the audience for this show it's pretty diverse, just because Blog Talk Radio is like that. Um, and mm-hmm. especially when we're out in a general place, people just click on it and come in. So so I always like to say that you know anyone coming in, we're all learning here. Those who choose to listen. And so anyway, what a pivotal time. And that can't be a coincidence. To me, that has to be synchronistic that you would be talking about Lady Liberty in such a way at such a time. Yeah. Well, it took us six and a half years to do this book. We were going to do it in two. That's what we thought. But you mentioned Dr. Elaine Pagels. And if you take a look at all the other references that we use, we, I am so proud especially Laura in this regard, uh, because I have to also do murals. I had to do two murals during this book, one called We the People, which has three goddesses in it, and then, of course, uh, restoring the one at Johns Hopkins University, 2,700 square feet is a big mural. And uh, during that particular time, I learned that balance was missing in our country especially in with regards to women. And when we take a look, you mentioned uh, something about your your religious background and, 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 yes. and how things yes. are positively changing. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it has been quite a struggle, yes. uh, such a struggle it's that... It's still going on. <laughs> it yes. certainly is going on, and it's certainly yes. going on down there in Texas right now. And, 
Yes. You see the different stories coming out of there with more deaths from birth with women. Yeah. Uh, and and unfortunately, unfortunately, that eventually will change. I hope so because it's needed. Yeah. yeah, and there is quite a resurgence in the conversation. Some would say it's the rising of the female divine. And the, the reason, as far as we could tell, that many people in the Christian and well, the Abrahamic traditions are taught to fear the goddess, is it's the result yeah. of some poor interpretations of woman-hating bishops in the first few centuries of the Roman takeover of the Christian church, because Jesus didn't teach this. He certainly no. wasn't anti-women. He was radical in that. He surrounded himself with women. They ate with women. He taught women side by side. His, the early leaders of the Christian church were women, and this is all coming to fore with, as we mentioned, the work of Elaine Pagels, but people who've discovered the uh, library of Nag Hammadi, these Gnostic Gospels, the, the Gospels yes. that were deemed heretical in the early three 400s by the, by the Roman Church, not by the early Christian. Early Christian Church was a whole bunch of different beliefs, some of which were pretty far out and hard to understand. But since the Roman takeover in the early 400s, there's been this, this hierarchical, patriarchal domination imprinted onto the Christian tradition. And the early suffragists in the 1800s, interestingly, around the time that the Statue of Liberty was being built, they recognized this. Uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton wrote a book called The Woman's Bible, and one of her colleagues, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, wrote something called Woman, Church, and State. And they said categorically, the seed for women's oppression is the Christian church, and until it is addressed within the church, women will not have true liberation. And, likewise, the basis of the Christian church is the suppression of women. In fact, all religious yeah. fundamentalists prioritize pushing women back to their so-called traditional place. It, it happened in, in Hitler's Germany and in the Soviet Union under Stalin and Iran under Khomeini, of course, in the Afghanistan and the Taliban and the, the current terrorists over there. They're just incredibly afraid of this power of the female and some might say that that goes back to the shift in the culture where, where in old Europe, where all these little goddess figurines have been discovered, there was this reverence for the female and the goddess, and the, the, everybody just naturally worked in partnership because it was all about being connected. And then something shifted. We're not sure what happened. It was nomadic hordes came down with their sky gods, or maybe the invention of the alphabet rewired the brain. Who knows? But eventually... The shift happened so that this, this, this culture was suppressed, and the myths that they had were rewritten so that yeah. Athena, in the previous, pre, previous to the Greco-Roman tradition, was a powerful daughter with a powerful mother, and there was none of this business of her being a motherless, uh, a motherless warrior springing out of Zeus's head, and uh, that's why she's so idolized by the patriarchy. That's why we see so much of Minerva throughout the revolutionary generation yeah, depiction yeah. Of, of the of the founding. So anyway, it did, it comes down to both not just a suppression of the goddess, but a fear of women and women's natural power, the life-giving power that the men obviously can't control without suppressing the women. And that's where they come in with these legislations over how you can regulate when and how many times you can have a baby. That should be a woman's operation. It should be her choice. She should have access to health care to either prevent pregnancies or, you know, whatever, get the proper health care. And that's what Bob was referring to in states yeah. like Texas yeah. where they're closing down Planned Parenthood left and right. And that means that poor women don't have access to quality health care and are dying as they're giving birth. 
in record numbers. Yeah. I think they're the highest now in the, in, in, in the world, in, in the, the world. developed world. In the world. <laughs> the death rate. Yeah. And when you look at the way the same thing in regards to violence against children, Texas leads uh, the, the United States in deaths within families, uh, of, of beating deaths. You know, if you're allowed to carry a gun around on the streets, there's a tendency for it to be used. And not if it's not a gun, it's a knife or it's a fist, or some, and children, many children, that Texas leads this country in children's deaths and murders, murders within the family, not strangers, but within the family, because children are beaten because they eat too much candy or watch too much television or whatever, whatever excuse is. And, and it really has uh, obviously, uh, it, it will change. There are some wonderful... Yeah shows down there that we've been on that are really affecting Dallas and others, but we have big problems in, in regards to to Mother Nature at this time. Mother Nature, according to the way the Native Americans think, they do not necessarily call it global warming or global this or that. They believe that Mother Nature has consciousness, and we have been destroying our animals our vegetation, and people, of course. And it's destroying parts of the earth. This fracking is absolute poison to Mother Earth. And what we see going on in West Virginia and Oklahoma and the people that do are interested in the fracking, you know, the Koch brothers own more land, especially up there in uh, Canada, and they're anxious to get fracking all over this country. Now, if that happens, we will lose all of our clean water. Clean water is going to be far more expensive than oil or gas or anything else, and only the wealthy are going to have it. So you can imagine the kind of problems we will have with disease. I always thought that that was a guaranteed commodity, that everyone would have clean water. We obviously have broken some major rules and regulations and taking care of nature. And Mother Nature is now going to take care of that situation. And then I know you've probably studied Atlantis, right? I've had an expert on Atlantis on this show, actually. I have. Um, and, and, and it's, and, it's uh, fascinating. And Lemuria and other ancient oh, yes. cultures. I believe in it totally. I, you know, it's not, it's not a myth. They did, they especially Atlantis, themselves. they say. Yes. Um, they say that they they developed a culture somewhat like ours. I've heard that said exactly many times. Exactly like ours. Because guess you what? Know, when you guess what? Yes. Yes. We are the reincarnated Atlanteans. It's us doing the same are. thing over and of over course. again. Wait, well, <laughs> you know, do you realize now here we're free on your show to talk about these most important things, which which most other people back there in the 50s would say, are you crazy? And oh, yet, of course. They the, still the will say evidence, that now. <laughs> you know, the evidence is overwhelming. And that is what is absolutely necessary. It's kind of me- the kind of medicine that we are having as, as greater wisdom and understanding. And when you look at the Statue of Liberty and you study her symbols and interpret them, you will see this is a lady in balance. She is a goddess. Mm-hmm. And such as a goddess, she wears that crown of seven points to point out, if anyone who studies the Kabbalah realizes that this is a divine 
being. And wow, what a difference that makes when children realize they really have something to look up. This is our mom. And then you see how popular the Statue of Liberty is. There are Statues of Liberty in almost every nation, including China. Remember how they, in the old days back there in the, in the 70s or was it 80s, uh-huh. uh, when they rolled, the tanks came in. Our friend was there with the, the tanks. Uh, he, yeah. he didn't get killed, yeah. fortunately. But that 30-some-foot plaster mache symbol of the goddess was crushed. Now they have a Statue of Liberty, same as most countries do, because she's become universal. She's a universal mother. It's the best symbol that we've ever had, hands down. And she's a symbol for change. America has thrived on change, but the Statue of Liberty has also thrived on change. She's been around for 130 years, and she has what she means has changed considerably from the beginning. Americans didn't want her. There really was no interest in accepting her as a gift from France. There was a lot of suspicion. Uh-huh. And then on her birthday, as I mentioned, the 28th of October in 1886, that was the official unveiling ceremony in New York where they had a French flag covering her face and the sculptor was up there in the crown ready to, to cut the cords for the unveiling. And they had, I think, over a million people there. It was a huge turnout. And finally mm-hmm. the president came around and everybody who was anybody was there. And it became an American symbol. It was like overnight America adopted her as their own symbol. But right now, change is more essential than ever. And, and we're talking about the environment in this book through the entry point of the Indian queen, which is another symbol yeah. for America in the form of a female that was used in the very earliest days of the uh, conquest rather than discovery of the Europeans as they came over and realized there's a fourth part of the world they'd they'd left out of all their maps. They needed to allegorize it as they had for, there was a Europa, a female, there was a a female depiction of Asia, she had silks and incense, and there was a female depiction of Africa that had elephant horns on her, and you know, she was just a little bit more naked. But then the one they created for America, and that's what they called her, was this savage-looking Indian queen which, of course, is a misnomer because she was not Indian, that was Columbus's mistake, and she was not a queen. There was no royalty amongst the Native Americans, especially in the northern part of the of the states, but that's what they thought. When they saw a powerful woman, they just automatically assumed she must be royalty, so they named her an Indian queen. So she's mostly naked. That's the key point for this symbol. She's got some tobacco leaf skirt and feathers in her hair, and she's sometimes carrying a severed head or riding on an enormous armadillo, obviously drawn by people who'd never been here before and never seen a Native American person in, in person themselves. Um, but the point is that she was mostly naked and therefore sexually available and the 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 writings that they wrote the very earliest discoverers this is the 1500s for the most part i'm talking about they Uh would talk about the land as virgin and waiting to be ravished and welcoming them with open arms and so this indian queen was used almost as a form of soft pornography their travel literature was like a form of erotica in a way and and the Mm -hmm. europeans just sopped it up, and they, they saw it as a as a way to encourage more investors and more colonists to come over so that you could have this land that was waiting to be dominated in the form of a woman. So from the beginning, they brought this paradigm over of dominating both the land and the woman. 
And that's where we have found ourselves in this terrible predicament now of Earth is meant to be used up and women are to, meant to be used up and discarded. So if we can shift that as far as women should, the women's particular women's strengths and women's power, life-giving, nurturing, the stereotypical things that we think of as women. And, you know, the, the, the dominionist type of people, those evangelical type of Christians, are taking the longest to come around to understanding that, that we have a responsibility to, to climate change and that our patterns need to shift because they're entrenched in this belief that man was created to have dominion over the earth. Yes. Where, yes. Yeah, so the, that's why we're focusing again on the Statue of Liberty as a symbol of change, because if she can change, she's flexible, she's literally flexible, she's literally hollow, she can be filled up with just about anything, then we can change. And what, that's what we need to do now. And women in power could make a big could we we contend that more women in power could accelerate this transition yeah. into a caring life economy definitely. because life being the first priority instead of living on the earth and dominating it exploiting it like it's an empire we must accept that we are one with the earth and we need to change this perception that we have that we have this right this liberty to unlimited consumption into a feeling of responsibility. We can learn a lot from the Native Americans. They are some of the first to be affected by the climate change. They're people living on the fringes out in the Arctic. They're, they're completely losing their villages. They're falling into the sea. Women in the, in the, in the um, third world so-called countries are, are having to walk eight and ten hours a day just to find clean water for their families. So it's the, it's in the indigenous and the women the vulnerable people are the most affected, and yet they have the solutions. So we need to bring them to the table. We need to bring women to the table when we're negotiating peace or any kind of change on a global scale. You and know, on that, that, can I can I ask a question on that? Yes. Um, is, there's a point in your book where you describe something that I found fascinating, where where they sat down with the Native Americans and they said, where are your women? <laughs> where are your women? And I love yes, that or I may be paraphrasing a little bit, but point no, of that ever right strike on. me, because they valued the role of women. And perhaps you, Bob, can, can incorporate that into whatever you were going to say, because it just well, seems so you must vital. Be, you must be psychic. You must be psychic, because that's exactly what I, I had to refer <laughs> to. Because, you know, of, I've, done scores, I've done scores of shows with History, Discovery, National Geographic, and many others, especially in Germany and Russia and elsewhere. My books are published in those other countries. I'm better known, and my work is better understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, but the key thing that they will not allow me to talk about on History Channel, and this is the reason why I've generally accepted not going, uh, not being interviewed anymore on the History uh-huh. Channel. Discovery Channel is different, and so is uh, National Geographic. They're much better. Uh-huh. But um, the most important thing I wanted to talk about with them on the air was the League of the Iroquois Indians, because mm-hmm. they, just like the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Gnostica stuff, changed my life totally. Uh, I had no idea that the women were literally in charge of many aspects of the planet's work, and and that is especially in regards to the founding fathers. Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, 
George Washington, uh, the Monroes, and others, especially John Adams, uh, were so turned on by the fact that they had founded a republic, a representative form of government. I think it was 1142 A.D., 1142 A.D., before Columbus was born. Well, well beyond that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they had worked it out in such a way that women were in charge of, of certain aspects of life, and since they were the life givers, and with, within the women tradition, you know, when you go through your menstrual cycle every month, women would go in a cave. They would stay inside a cave for several days and meditate. Men, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why they had great advantages over men who had a very difficult time learning to meditate because they didn't have take the time to spend every month. Now, every month, if you went through that over a period of time, then you would alter your consciousness. And they knew mm-hmm. that women had power at that particular time. And unfortunately, the Founding Fathers, even though we utilized the fact as to how uh, we could form a government, women, it was just too much for our Founding Fathers to handle. I think Laura likes to say you can't have more than one revolution at a time, and that a revolution <laughs> of but the women, because the, the, the League of the Iroquois were uh, camped inside Independence Hall. They were invited yeah. there to watch what was going on and to give their opinions to our founding fathers. And of all the parts of America, you'll find that the, the northeastern aspect uh, of, of our, and, and on our, in our country uh, is, is one of the more, in my opinion, one of the more peaceful and anti-slavery uh, uh, areas in the world. So women were major leaders because they were in touch with the divine within themselves because they had greater practice of it. And, of course, uh, when the when the uh, American generals and everyone came and talked to the, the Native Americans and they said, where are your women? They really meant that. Where are your women? Yes. We, we don't trust yes. you as a yes. male. Where the heck are You're they? You're not to be yes. trusted. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to tell you a little more about that. But first let me tell you some of the things that the the uh, U.S. Constitution or the people that framed that picked up from the League of the Iroquois. This is directly from their Great Law of Peace. And this is some, these are the revolutionary parts of the American Revolution, that they actually broke yeah. away from the monarchy and the church control. This is what they had been conditioned for hundreds and hundreds of years, that there was this combination between the government and the church. And that they did break. And the people had the right to impeach their leaders. They learned this from the Iroquois. The Iroquois united several sovereign nations to act as a unit, something that the different colonies were trying to figure out how to do. The Iroquois added new territories as equal members instead of as colonized dependents. They created a set of electors to vote for the leader. They gave respect to one speaker at a time in political meetings, something the British still don't do. They formed caucuses for special councils for informed decisions. And they prohibited military leaders from becoming political leaders, which was a critical change from the European tradition. But what they didn't add in was that amongst the Iroquois, all questions required approval of both the women and the men. The clan mothers elected the chiefs. 
the Iroquois women were the ones who gave the consent to go to war, and they were the ones who ordered peace to be brokered to end them. It was uh, Washington's treaties, in fact, were negotiated through women. No sale of yeah. lands was valid without the consent of women. No negotiations of, uh, negotiation of treaties, including the sale of land, could be done without women. Violence against women was prohibited. Women had the right to her children after the divorce. Women owned all the property. We've got this good illustration. In fact, we've got a lot of illustrations on our website, secretlifeoflady.liberty.com. But there's this one tree image that shows the combination, the comparison between the U.S. Constitution and the Iroquois Great Law of Peace. And right there at the Supreme Court, what's comparable to that? The Council of the Clan Mothers. That's how important they were. They negotiated all the important decisions. And in that famous letter that Abigail Adams wrote to her husband, John, where remember the ladies, that's what she was talking oh, about. Oh, yes. She noticed she was a she fire, noticed that I mean, the, she was fiery in her belief. Yeah, she was way ahead of her time as far as yes. advocating for <laughs> education for women. And she pointed yes. out that the, the system you've got in the legal codes from England that we've inherited is is so tyrannical from men over women, it's the same thing that you're breaking away from, from Great Britain. And when you revise that law, you should revise this law too. And John sort of dismissed it in a, in a humorous way. He laughed it off and said, well, we just can't have a petticoat revolution at the same time. Yep. We're too busy. You know, all these different people now want liberty, the slaves, the Native Americans, and now the women? We can't handle that. <laughs> <laughs> Took him another. She warned him. She said, it's not going to be over until it's over. You know, we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to let this rest. Took him another hundred years, but still. Yeah, she was that's right. right. So, but our, what I was saying before, though, is the media suppresses this. Yeah, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, and it wasn't just the Viva Iroquois; the Cherokee did the same thing. There were other um, groups, groups of uh, Native Americans that worked along the same line. Yeah, they would show up at the peace council negotiations, and that's an actual quote from a Cherokee leader named Atacalacala: "Where are your women?" This was in the 1740s yeah. or so, and it, it 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 equally shocked. You know that. How could you come negotiate peace without your women? They just couldn't understand that. But the Europeans were equally shocked. That how how could you possibly talk to our women? Our women don't know anything. You know, they're descendants mm -hmm. of Eve. They're just here mm -hmm. to tempt us, and we have to be careful around them. We certainly aren't going to give them any important decisions like war and peace. But his uh, his niece, Nancy Ward, is well known. She was also a Cherokee leader, a female, and she was in charge of that, that area while the settlers were just pouring in, you know, breaking every treaty that the government ever made with them, just poured in and took over their land, and it was just tragic. And we're trying to resurrect some of their story into the American history. By telling the history of the Statue of Liberty, we looked for all these areas in American history that don't normally get told, not just the, the yes. women. I think women are covered in about 8% of history books today. Yeah. And the Native Americans, we're all Americans. We all contributed to this great nation of mixture, combination, you know, enlightenment. And all our stories are valid. The, the slaves and the descendants of slaves also contributed in, in multitudes. We have a whole chapter in our book about the Black Statue of Liberty, and their whole yes. concept and appreciation of the statue is quite different from European descendants. Yes. You know, there's something I, I can't help. This is one of my spontaneous questions I cannot help but consider here. When we talk about where we are heading in terms of peace, um, in, in another life, it feels like another life, um, I was a computer scientist with 
with a mm. master's in computer science and, and actually went to the school where the World Wide Web, as we know it, was being developed at the time, the oh. first web browser. However, here is something I have observed. Um, there, and this is known, there are very, very few women in technology. There have yeah. always been very few women in technology. And what I have observed about the women in technology, including myself when I was in the office, is that often we can be softening influences, not only to make it more usable, but I guess the question here that, that this really brings to mind is one of the, the harmful things that we're doing in our world right now is focusing too much on on the technological future for our society, things like transhumanism and things like that. And and that's coming from an entire culture that is almost entirely men. And Absolutely. what you are representing yeah. is a much more balanced approach. And I think that, that we will suffer and and also it's being used by the war machine very much so i mean it's all you know being steered that way and so when we think about the future of this country and the world we need to bring ourselves back and and actually mother earth will do it the sun oh, will oh she do will it. if not the she earth will. the sun can can pretty much take care of it pretty quick if it needed to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it can, and, it can fly. I mean, not it that can I'm fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mean to use um, nature as, as a threat. However, um, we need to get back into balance. We are being called to this balance, and we've been like on this runaway technological train, which is very male-dominated. And that's what I wanted to interject into this conversation, just from my own personal observation. Yeah, that's the materialistic consumer mindset that we're stuck yep. in, and that's and why we advocate for the, the goddess energy, because that's um, – and voting more women into positions of power. I know that sounds simplistic, yes. but yes. it really will make a difference, because men and women approach problem-solving differently, as I'm sure that's you realized right. in, the, in the men's yes. field. And that's what absolutely. any enlightened corporation is realizing, that they have to make allowances not for women to become leaders, but for caregiving within their corporation so yeah. that both yes. men and women can take care of their families and stop and start as they need to to care for family members and, you know, give them pregnancy parking spots and places to breastfeed or whatever they need to do. You need to make allowances for taking care of your others so that the women can be involved in your leadership because women are graduating from college at a much greater rate than, well, a slightly greater rate than men, and yet only 5% end up as the top of the CEOs or in politics. We've only mm -hmm. got 20% of our right. Congress represented by women. There's a great article that just came out in The Guardian on why Iceland is the best place to be a woman right now in the world, and part of that is because of what you were talking about. From a very early age, they empower their girls to feel strong yeah. and not and to be interested in technology and science and whatnot and feel that they can, whereas we have this uh, stereotypical design still very much entrenched in our media and our advertising that women are weaker and interested in frivolous things, and that's how we're conditioning our little girls rather than to be so well, you know it's shifting obviously it's changing with the women's movement, but in in the beginning of the women's movement. 
people like yourself joining into these male forms. They they became like men. They armored themselves like yeah. Athena, and they became cold and calculating. Whereas today, I think there's more of a, an allowance to be even amongst men to be more nurturing and caregiving, and and whereas that's seen as weak by the patriarchy type people, but it's amongst the new generation who were raised by the women's movement, they see that as, as natural. And women are, especially the Statue of Liberty, uh-huh. is a symbol. Symbols yes. are significant forces in the psyche. Now, this is yes. part of my doctoral work in transpersonal and humanistic psychology, and that yes. symbols are a bridge between the conscious, or excuse me, the conscious and and the unconscious mind, and they cultivate wholeness, and that results in what Maslow and so many others said is self-realization. And when a symbol contains both the conscious and unconscious elements, it can relate to the entire psychic system, and it can be assimilated in consciousness relatively quickly. From the standpoint of humanistic psychology especially, it is the development of a symbolic mythological system that's absolutely necessary for our culture's health and stability, and we do not have this in our country. We have been destroying our symbols one after another, and I have to admit that on the History Channel I see it happening all the time, destroying various founding fathers' reputations because they may have been... uh, uh, playing around with other women and destroying what their effectiveness is in the founding of this country, and especially our symbols. So symbols, like the Statue of Liberty, are key. And if you take a look at the Statue of Liberty, you just take a look what she's got in her right hand. And I think you referred to it as, you know, this is an enlightened uh, yeah. action of enlightening the world. She is enlightening the world. That torch is extremely important. It's not a torch that sets things on fire. It's a torch that literally enlightens to see where you're going, to see clearly where you're going. And it's in her right hand, and, of course, that right hand is the active hand. When you take a look at what's in her left hand, you have the balance to that which is in the right. She's holding, she's cradling like a, a child, this tablet which says July 4th, 1776. That is the left hand dealing with contemplation and the goddess. You have a balance between the left and right hand. And if if you decide to look at the Kabbalah and study the Kabbalah, and you talk about chakras, and you talk about the various yeah. spheres in the Kabbalah, you take that mind that goes from the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, up to her crown. And the crown is a symbol of enlightenment once again. She proves that she is a goddess. And she's a goddess on seven levels. You know, all symbols have at least seven meanings. And unfortunately, with those that people that get involved deeply in in, uh, extremist uh, Christianity, they believe a symbol only tells one story. And that obviously is not the truth. There are many levels, and and there are many different ways of doing things, and diversity is the key there in our country. And the movement towards making this a Christian nation, this is going on and has been going on for a long time, again, down there in Texas. And uh, it's very unfortunate. 
because they do not believe in the separation of church and state. They want to eliminate the separation of church and state and make this a Christian nation, not just a Christian nation, only a certain type of Christian nation. They would never consider Roman Catholic Church, Roman Catholicism as being Christian, or Mormons, or the Baptists, or any of the others. They have their own specific type of Christian enlightenment. And it's quite, quite destructive to our freedom you know, and liberties on this planet. It is. And there's something that, that I also want to mention here that, that is related to this, and certainly you explore this in your book. I am noticing, and this is true on many radio shows and in many explorations going on right now, there is a kind of obsession with end times symbols right now there can be you know a darker look at symbols they're all omens and they're all you know satanic and i know that you talk about this whole concept of the whore of babylon for example being cast upon um this this statue of liberty and and when i when i see this it's just fear it, it it's almost the clash is so incredible. I can't. I can't listen to it. It becomes this symbolic obsession. I mean, it really has become an obsession with oh, dark yes. symbols, and and it has a darkness to it. Oh yeah. Um, That's right. And and so, how do we consciously, those of us who choose to embrace the radiance of a symbol such as the the Statue of Liberty? How do we, in our own consciousness, radiate the light just like her torch? How do we, in a metaphysical way, um, take back the balance? Because there is a lot of this going on, and it's time for us. We need to heal this planet. I mean, that's obvious. We will be on a runaway train to destruction, and those of us who believe know that's not where we're headed, that, that we really are headed to heaven on earth, just not quite in the the theocratic, patriarchal way. Well, I'd like to touch on this a bit, and I know Laura would love to talk about some of the aspects of it. Yeah, please, both of you. I have, um, there's a formula that I use, which is an old formula. I've been a member of many different secret societies, and they basically they teach the same thing, and that is how to get in contact with the goddess and God within you how to get to the heart of things, so to speak, to get into balance. And and the formula always generally comes down to something like prayer. Prayer is being able to talk with the divinity. Meditation is to listen to the divinity. But most of all, after you pray, after you listen Service, service to others. When you start helping yes. others yes. without thinking about the economy of or, or of being of being well paid for it or anything like that, one of the great things about America is when we have very serious problems like the floods that we're having all the time and keep on will keep on having them for quite a while. Uh, the the uh, eventually. You come into balance by helping others, and when you do, you get this feeling inside of you 
that my why could why couldn't I do this more? Why can't I uh, uh, put myself in balance through prayer and meditation and serve? Take maybe a half hour a month in your neighborhood, and you you see any people that are elderly that need help? Why not just do their shopping for them? Or John, why not just spend a little bit of time with them? Or have their children that are have been more or less abandoned by their parents to to lend them a help a helping hand? Now, yes, I know how corny this sounds, but it does work. I learned that when I was extremely poor and walking the streets of of Philadelphia, just like Benjamin mm-hmm. Franklin, I had mm-hmm. no money to give to anyone. I didn't have any money to eat, so I thought to myself as I'm walking along, what what can I do? This guy, this see. When you see people sitting there and, and, and crying and feeling terrible, it doesn't cost anything to send them light, to send them energy. Mm-hmm. See them totally involved in beautiful blue or green light, a healing light. Just sit there or stand there or walk by and see them involved in this. You can alter them a little bit. It's not going to make the mm-hmm. biggest difference in the world, but you're, you, we can easily help each other at no cost to us, and at the same time, it will create within us a fire of helping others. That's one method, and it's a simple method. And it might make the biggest difference in the world. You never know when your yeah. simple little act yeah. is going to have a huge repercussion. And I think what Bob was saying is extremely important. What each of us can do on an individual level, it may seem insignificant, but it really isn't. Each little drop is going to contribute. We learned a lot from this from Stefan Schwartz. If you haven't had him on your program, I highly recommend it. I have it. had gonna, him on. You have. He's good. Amazing. I have. Great book. Yeah. I, I like the story he tells uh-huh. about some cleaning lady who picked up a pen for a a congressperson, and they just had this silent interaction where she smiled at yeah. him, and it changed his mind to change the vote for working women or working people's uh, mm-hmm. coverage. And it was just that one personal interaction. So don't discount that it won't make a whole lot of difference when you do something kind for someone else or you serve your community, because that might be the tipping point for some major change in the world. And we also say that. Well, we believe that Americans can learn to value the power of nurturing through focusing on the Statue of Liberty as a goddess, but you can start noticing American goddesses all around you, not just in the seals and the statuary, mm-hmm. which are, mm-hmm. of course, all over uh, New York. Twelve or so of our states have goddesses in their state seals and on their flags, but goddesses in your personal life as well through the nurturing qualities of the people that you meet, especially your mothers, your daughters, your sisters, but men too who are embracing caregiving as a symbol of strength and recognizing these qualities will help you tap your own and find your full potential to create and change the world in your own special way that you you were designed to do, that your talents were designed for. And American women, especially those of you whose children are grown, grown have to start seeing yourselves as leaders. I think that the Dalai Lama was really yeah. onto something when he said the the world will be yeah. changed by Western women because we've got the means and the education that other parts of the world don't have. And that's what needs to happen. American women need to step up, and American women, men, need to step aside and allow them to step up and, and value caregiving as a strength. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, 
so much you see that how, you've had to share. You see how smart just this lady is you're talking to. <laughs> really. You're, you're really. both I mean, wonderful. And, and by the way, I totally respect research taking several years because I relate to oh. that myself. There's nothing. That's what happens when you're really exploring something at true depth like you two right. have here and some of your other work. I value that greatly. And Bob, you learn how much you, you don't talking, know. <laughs> yes. And, and, and thank you for that intuitive research because that's really what drove this book. It, it's important. Yeah. And and I do want to just acknowledge your compassion because that's what you're talking about is mm-hmm. just basic compassion. Basic and we can all do this every day. We can find ways to exercise our compassion. And, mm-hmm. and yes, we've raced to the end of the program here, and so now I'm to the part where I certainly need to thank you both. What a, what a wonderful, interesting time this has been with you. I am just so thankful and honored to have you here today, and I want to give you one more opportunity to tell people where to find you. Um, as we're live here. But, yes, a thank you from my heart for the time that you invested into this, for well, your research you for, and for your light. Thank you for your wonderful show and for inviting us to talk on it. And just, um, you know, this is why we love America so much. It's the land of opportunity, and this lady yeah. in the New York Harbor, this is American liberty. American liberty is based on enlightenment, embodied by a goddess. SecretLifeOfLadyLiberty.com is where you can get autographed copies, but of course it's available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, all the regular places. And this remind you that there are many beings on this planet, uh, the Buddhas and, and Jesus Christ especially, who you talk about compassion, unconditional love. Unconditional love yeah. is what he was all about and what yes. a difference that could make. Yes, yes. I I couldn't agree more. Um, Well, thank you again. I I truly am blessed that you've been here today. I feel it's been a true blessing to all of us today. And and I'm thankful that that Blog Talk Radio has has recognized this show today and chose to do that and because you have a powerful message to share. So thank you. So thank, thank you. you. Happy so birthday. Much. And happy birthday. <laughs> thank yes. you. We can still say thank happy you birthday guys. to you. <laughs> Go vote for and you really are you really are nice people, just like I said. I just have had fun today. <laughs> well, you're so. nice people too. <laughs> Aw, well thanks guys. I feel like you're friends already. So so Absolutely. you two take care. <laughs> thank you and very thank much. You. Keep up with it. You too. Yes. Ma'am. All right. I promise. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Um, just a quick show note here at at the end. Um, busy week here for an anniversary week. Tomorrow I'm going to be on alone, just like I started this show rather spontaneously. I just came on the air alone, and that's what I'm doing tomorrow at noon Pacific. Um, I'll just be reflecting. We'll see where that goes. That's our sixth anniversary program on the anniversary. This show started six years ago. And then on Thursday night, I have Tracy Mahan on. She's coming back to the show, 7 p.m. Pacific. That's one of our night specials, which we enjoy, and we have more of those. And she's just going to be taking your calls and providing some loving, intuitive guidance to those of you who are experiencing anything in your life that you'd like to talk to Tracy about. She's a very loving, 
Nurturing Soul. And then I have a new show that's not even on the schedule yet. Friday, just got it on, perfect, before the election. Spire um, also has a doctorate. He's a researcher in shamanism. He's going to be on 2 p.m. Pacific talking about his new book about peace, and it's called Talking Stick. And I'm just so happy to get him on. FrontierBeyondFear.com is the place to go. Thank you, live audience. I know you're leaving us. I'll speak for just a moment to those of you across time who've been listening all along across time because you know what? There is no separation of time and space. I say this all the time. You have been with us all along, and I hope you feel that. I hope you feel the interaction here and the energy of these people that we had on the show today. I want to remind you once again to explore their work, The Secret Life of Lady Liberty, because Bob Hieronymus and Laura Cortner are doing some really special things, and they are special souls. So please do explore and discover and change. Change your life, and you'll change your world. Thanks, everyone. I will see you tomorrow, I hope, for those of you listening close in time. And even if you're not, pick up that anniversary show when you can. I will simply reflect. Take care. Have a wonderful day, evening, wherever this show finds you. 